0: You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.
1: Okay, well, we actually are getting started. So um, again, welcome uh, to SF&SF. Our tagline is science fiction, San Francisco, a perfect fit. Uh, We managed to shoehorn some horror and fantasy and other genre literature in there as well, so it's a nice, eclectic mix. Uh, My name is Rena Weissman. I am not only a board member of Variety Children's Charity of Northern California, whose preview room theater you're sitting in, um, but I am the... uh, the wife of jacob weissman of tachyon publications who sponsor uh, sponsors and underwrites the whole sf and sf program and on Both his behalf and my behalf, I'm delighted, thrilled to welcome all of you here. It's very nice to see a full house. I didn't expect anything less. So, not for these two wonderful authors. So, just to give you just a little bit of background, we've been running this SF and SF program here at Variety for about three and a half years. Before that, it had a little short spell at New College where it was started by Terry Bisson and Karen Williams, and we're eternally grateful to them for doing that. Um, We picked up the program and carried it over here to Variety, both to kind of expand the program. As you can see, it's a lovely theater. You have very comfortable seats, but it has a bar. (laughs) And therein lies our secret, because we're very happy to sponsor the bar, because the proceeds and donations all go to Variety Children's Charity. So we're benefiting a lot of kids out there, and we've been doing it for three and a half years thereabouts. We're going to continue. Um, our program in the in that time has brought in just a shade under $10,000 for the charity, which we're very proud of. Our goal this year is to reach about 4500 So we're on kind of a push. We're going to be trying to purchase an adaptive bike for a disabled child here in the Bay Area. There's pictures out in the hallway by the bathroom if you want to see what that looks like. But let me tell you, uh... it gives a kid mobility for the first time they can ride the bike by themselves which seems like a really simple thing but these kids are can, you know, confined to wheelchairs or bedridden uh... some, some other developmental uh, disabilities but you put them on the bike and they're just like any other kid it's really fabulous to see that so that's our goal for this year we've upped the ante a bit by asking everybody to donate five dollars when they come in whether it's at the bar by buying a drink or if you just want to drop some money in the box and we really really appreciate that we're not putting any pressure on anybody to do anything like that but it's just a nice little side bonus of our program here. Um, The other two things we do is the SF and SF Film Night which we run once a month um, and that is a, a free double feature and we have the bar open for that too which is really nice and free popcorn. We're going to be showing on May 13th Dark Crystal and Labyrinth which are old favorites so you're all invited to that as well and then the third component is our SF and SF newsletter by which I let I think we're close to 600 now on our mailing list um, let them know. We let people know about all sorts of literary, uh, science fiction, fantasy, horror genre-related events happening in the Greater Bay Area, and you can sign up for that um, up at the front there. And it's a bi-monthly newsletter, and we put some little tidbits at the to- at the bottom. We let you know if we're going to give away stuff at the movies, that sort of thing. So, but this program, our Authors' Night, is nearest and dearest to our heart, and I'm very delighted to have all of you here and to turn the program over to our moderator, Terry Bisson.
2: Thank you. Well, as any of us have had kids know we all support more variety in children. So be sure and get a drink. We have a big night tonight. We have two esteemed, celebrated and accomplished authors and um, so I'm going to cut right to the chase cuz we have uh, a lot to do. tonight. our dr- uh, we're going to our authors going to read, then we're going to take a break and everybody can get a, a drink and then we will have a Q and a and a discussion there'll be book signing there'll be and after that there'll be book signing and schmoozing with the authors so to cut right to it um, the our first reader and uh, an author that's very dear to my heart and a lot of others as well published his first bestseller and his first novel at the age of nineteen a fine and private place and he's been chased by Times winged chariot for about a half century since then, but is still uh, very big in the field. He wrote the, the Last Unicorn and recently wrote a sort of a coda, I think you call it to The Last Unicorn, it's called first, think, yes. Two Hearts, which won both a Hugo and a Nebula. And without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to introduce my friend, colleague, and uh, one of our favorite authors, Peter Beagle.
0: <laughs> right. This is called Oakland Dragon Blues I live in Oakland and have for years Very fun, like Terry I am happy to report Officer Levinsky said to Officer Guerra pointing to the dragon sprawled across the telegraph and 51st Street intersection that this one is all yours I've been off shift for exactly seven minutes waiting for your ass to get here Have a nice day Gerra started, paling visibly under his brown skin. Traffic was backed up in all four directions. Horns were honking as madly as car alarms. Drivers were screaming hysterically, though none, he noticed, were getting out of their cars. And a five-man road crew, their drills, hoses, saw horses, and warning signs, scattered by a single swing of the dragon's tail, were adding their bellows to the din. The dragon paid no attention to any of it, but regarded the two policemen out of half closed eyes, resting his head on its head in its long clawed front feet, and every now and then burping feeble, dingy flames. It didn't look well. How long's it been here? Gera asked weakly. Levinsky consulted his watch again. Thirty one minutes. Just plopped out of the sky. Damn miracle it didn't crush somebody's car or flatten a pedestrian. Been laying there ever since, just like that. Well. You called it in, right? Gera wondered what the police code for a dragon in the intersection would be. (laughs) Levinsky looked at him as though he had suggested a fast game of one-on-one with an open manhole. You are out of your mind. I always thought so. No, I didn't call it in, and if you have the sense of a chinch bug, you won't either. Just get rid of it. I'm out of here. Enjoy, Gera. Levinsky's patrol car was parked on the far side side of the intersection, He skirted the dragon's tail cautiously, got in the car, slapped on his siren, for pure emotional relief, Gera thought, (laughs) and was gone, leaving Gera scratching his buzz-cut head, facing both a growing traffic jam and a creature out of fairy tales whose red eyes streaked with pale yellow like the eyes of very old men, were watching him almost sleepily, totally uninterested in whatever he chose to do, but watching all the same. The furious chaos of the horns being harder on Gera's normally placid nerves than the existence of dragons, he walked over to the beast and said from a respectful distance, Sir, you're blocking traffic, and I'm going to have to ask you to move along. Otherwise, you're looking at a major citation here. When the dragon did not respond, he said it again in Spanish, then (coughs) then drew a deep breath and started over in Russian having taken the course that winter in order to cope with a new influx of immigrants. The dragon interrupted him with a brief hiccup of oily, sulfurous flame halfway through. In a rusty, raspy voice with a faint accent that was none of the ones Geron knew, it said, Don't start. (laughs) Guerra rested his hand lightly on the butt of the pistol that he was immensely proud of never having fired during his eight years on the Oakland Police Force, except for his regular practice sessions and annual recertifications at the Davis Street Range. He said, Sir, I am not trying to start anything with you, I'm having enough trouble just believing in you, but I've got to get you out of this intersection before somebody gets hurt. I mean, look at all those people, listen to those damn horns. The racket was already giving him a headache behind his eyes. You think you could maybe step over here to the curb, we'll talk about it? That'd work out much better for both of us, don't you think? The dragon raised its head and favored him with a long, considering stare. I don't know. I like this place about as well as I like any place in this world, which is not at all. Why should I make things easier for you? Nobody ever cares about making anything easier for me, let me tell you. Guerra's greatest ambition in law enforcement was to become a hostage negotiator. He had been studying the technique on and off for most of his tenure on the force, both on site and through attending lectures and reading everything he could find on the subject. The lecturers and the books had a good deal to say concerning hostage takers' tendency to self-pity. He said patiently to the dragon, well, I'm really trying to do exactly that. Let's get acquainted, huh? I'm Officer Guerra, Michael Gera, but people mostly call me Mike-O, I don't know why. What's your name? Always get on a first-name basis as early as possible. It makes you two human beings together. You'll be amazed at the difference it makes. Now, if only one of those books had ever covered the fine points of negotiating with a burping mythological predator. You couldn't pronounce it, the dragon replied, and if you tried, you'd hurt yourself. (laughs) But it rose to its feet with what seemed to Guerra an intense and even painful effort, and with some trepidation he led it away from the intersection to the side street where he had parked his blue and white patrol car. The traffic started up again before they were all the way across, and if people went on honking and cursing, still there were many who leaned out of their windows to applaud them. One driver shouted jovially, put the cuffs on him, while another yelled, illegal parking, get the boot. <laughs> the dragon half lumbered, half slithered beside Gera, sedately as though it were on a leash, but every so often it cocked a red eye sideways at him like a wicked bird, and then Gera shivered with what felt like ancestral memory. Those guys used to hunt us like rabbits. I know they did. The phone at his waist made an irritable sound and rattled against his belt buckle. He nodded to the dragon, grunted, my boss, I better take this, and heard Lieutenant Kunkel's nasal nasal drone demanding, Gary, you there? Gary, what the fuck is going on up in little Ethiopia? Lieutenant Kunkel fully expected Eritrean rebels to stage shootouts in Oakland sometime within the week. "'Big, nasty traffic jam, Lieutenant,' Gera answered, "'consciously keeping his voice light and level, "'even with a dragon sniffing disdainfully at his patrol car. "'All under control now, no problem. "'Yeah, well, we've been getting a bunch of calls about I don't know what, "'some sort of crazy dragon, UFO, whatever. "'You know anything about this shit?' "'Uh,' Gera said. Uh, n- "'No, Lieutenant, it's just the time of day, you know? "'Rush hour, traffic gets tied up, people get a little crazy, "'they start seeing stuff.' Mass hysteria, (laughs) shared hallucinations. It's real common, they got books about it. (laughs) Lieutenant Kunkel's reaction to the concept of shared hallucinations was not at first audible. Then it became audible, but not comprehensible. Finally, coherent, he drew on a vocabulary that impressed Gera so powerfully for its range and expressiveness (laughs) that at a certain point, phone gripped between his ear and his shoulder, he dug out his notebook and started writing down the choicest words and phrases he caught. If anything, Gera was a great believer in self-improvement. The lieutenant finally hung up, and Gera put the book back in his pocket and said to the dragon, "'Okay, he's cool. You just go on away now. Go on home back wherever you—well, wherever, and we'll say no more about it Then you have an extra nice day here.' The dragon did not answer, but leaned against his car, considering him out of its strange red and yellow eyes. Huge as the creature was, Gera had nothing but military vehicles for comparison— he thought it must be a very old dragon, for the scales in its body were a dull greenish black, and its front claws were worn and blunt, no sharper than the turtle's. The long, low, purple crest running along its back from ears to tail tip was torn in several places and lay limp and prideless. The spikes at the end of its tail were all broken off short, and in spite of the occasional wheeze of fire, there was a rattle in the dragon's breath, as though it were rusty inside. He supposed the great purple wings worked. It was hard to see them clearly folded back against the body as they were, but they too looked ratty, for lack of a better word. Spontaneously, he blurted out, You've had kind of a rough time, huh? I get that. Do you? The dragon's black lips twitched, and for a moment, Gareth thought absurdly that he was going to cry. Do you indeed, Miko? Do you get that my back's killing me? That it aches all the time right there behind the hump? because of the beating it takes walking the black iron roads of this world? Do you get that the smell of your streets, even your streams, your rivers, your bay, is more than I can bear? That your people taste like clocks and coal oil? And your children are bitter as silver? The children used to be the best eating of all, better than antelope, better than wild geese. Now I just can't bring myself to touch another one of them. Oh, it's been dogs and cats and mangy little squirrels for months, years. And when you think... How I used to dine off steamed night, night on the half shell, broiled in his own armor with all the natural juices. Oh, e- excuse me, excuse me, I'm sorry. And rather to dragon Gera's horror, the dragon did begin to cry. He wept very softly with his eyes closed and his head lowered, his emerald green tears smelling faintly like gunpowder. Gera said, hey, hey, listen, don't do that, please. Don't cry, Okay. The dragon sniffled, but lifted its head again to regard him in some wonder. Surprisingly severe, it said, You are a witness to the rarest sight in the world, a dragon in tears, and all you can say is, don't do that? I don't get you people at all. But it did stop crying. It even made a sound like rustling ashes, which Gareth thought might be a chuckle. It said, Or did I embarrass you, Miko?" Listen, Gareth said again, Listen, you've got to get out of here. "'There's going to be rumors for days, but I'll cover with the lieutenant, whoever, whatever I have to say. "'Just go, okay?' He hesitated for a moment and then added, "'Please?' The dragon licked forlornly at its own tears with its broad forked tongue. "'I'm tired,' Miko. "'You have no idea how tired I am. "'I have one task to complete in this desolate world of yours, and then I'm done with it forever.' And since I'll never, never find my way back to my own world again, what difference does anything make? Afterward, afterward, you and your boys can shoot me, take me to prison, put me in a zoo. What wretched difference, I just don't care anymore. No, Guerra said, no, look, I'll tell you the truth. I do not want to be the guy who brings you in. For starters, it'll mean more reports, more damn bookkeeping than I've ever seen in my life. I hate writing reports. And besides that, yeah, Yeah, I guess I'd be famous for a while. Fifteen minutes, like they say. The cop who caught the dragon. Newspapers, big TV shows, fine and dandy. Maybe I'd even meet some girls that way. But once it all died down, that's all I'd ever be. The guy who had the thing on the street with the dragon. You think that's a resume for somebody who wants to be a hostage negotiator? I don't think so. The dragon was listening to him attentively, though with a slightly puzzled air. Guerra said, Anyway, what's this about finding your way back to your own world? How'd you get here in the first place? How did I get here? To Gera's astonishment and alarm, the dragon rumbled croupily deep in its chest, and the ragged crest stood up as best it could, while its head seemed to cock back in its neck like the hammer on a revolver. A brief burst of fire shot from the Fang's studded mouth, making Gera scramble aside. That's easy, it said, tapping its claws on the asphalt. I got written here. Gera was not at all sure that he had heard correctly. You got written, written and and written out, the dragon rasped bitterly. The author put me in his book right at the beginning, and then he changed his mind. Went back, redid the whole book, and more fire. Gera ducked again, barely in time. Gone, just like that. Not one line left, and I had some good ones, whole paragraphs, all gone. I'm having a very hard time with this, Gera said. So you're in a book, was, I was in a book, and now you're not. But you're real all the same, blocking traffic, breathing fire. Art is a remarkable creative force, the dragon said. I exist because a man made up a story. It mentioned the writer's name, which was not one Gera knew. I'm stranded here, loose and wandering in his world because he decided not to write about me after all. It bared double rows of worn but quite serviceable teeth and a highly unpleasant grin. But I'm real. I'm here and I'm looking for him. Followed him from one place to another for years. The man does move around, and finally tracked him to this Oakland. I don't know exactly where he lives, but I'll find him. And when I do, he is going to be one crispy author, believe me. <laughs> it snorted in anticipation, but Gera had already taken refuge behind the patrol car. The dragon said, I told you, after that I don't care what happens to me. I can't I can't ever get home, so what does it matter? His voice trembled in the last words, and Gera worried that it might be about to start weeping again. He edged cautiously out from the shelter of the car and said, well, you sure as hell won't get back home if you fry up the guy who maybe can help you. You ever think about that? The long neck swiveled, and the dragon stared at him, its eyes red and yellow like hunter's moons. Gera said, he lives in Oakland, this writer? Okay, I'll find out the address. That's one thing cops are really good at, tracing people's addresses. And you'll tell me. The dragon's whole vast body was quivering with eagerness. You would do that? No, Gareth said flatly, not for a minute, because you'd zip right off after him and be picking your teeth by the time I got off my shift. So you're going to wait until I'm done here, and we'll find him together. Deal? The dragon was clearly dubious. Gareth said, deal, or I won't give you his address, but I will tell him you're looking for him. And he'll move again, sure as hell, I would. Think about it. The dragon thought. At last it sighed deeply, exhaling tear damp ashes and rumbled. Very well, I'll wait for you on that sign. Gera watched in fascination as the shabby purple wings unfolded. Worn claws scrabbling on the sidewalk, the beast took a few running steps before it lifted into the air. A moment later it landed neatly on the top frame of a billboard, advertising a movie that apparently had a mermaid, a vampire, and a giant octopus in the cast. The dragon posed there all during Gera's shift, looking like part of the promotion, and if it moved even an inch, he never saw it. The road crew were back at work, and the intersection was in serious need of a patrolman. Both streets were torn up, the traffic lights were all off, and Gera had his hands full, beckoning cars forward and holding them up, keeping drivers away from closed-off lanes and guiding them around potholes. It kept his mind, as nothing else could have, almost completely off the dragon, although he did manage, during a comparative lull, to call in for the current address of the writer who had carelessly created the creature and then forgotten about it. Like God, maybe, Gera thought, and then thought he might not mention that notion to Father Fabros on Sunday. <laughs> his shift ended in twilight. The traffic had noticeably thinned by then, and he felt comfortable turning the intersection over to Officer Colasanto, who was barely in his second year. Walking to his car, Dr- Gera gestured to the dragon, and it promptly took off from the billboard, climbing toward the night clouds with a speed and elegance he had never imagined from those ragged wings and age-tarnished body. Once again, the bone image came to him of such creatures stooping from the sky at speeds his ancestors could not have comprehended before it was too late. He shivered and hurriedly got into the patrol car. He checked in at the police station, joking amiably with friends about the morning's dragon alarm. Neither Lieutenant Kunkel nor Officer Levinsky were present. Changed into civilian clothes and hurried back out, Anxious lest the dragon should become anxious. But he saw no sign of it and had to assume that it was following him beyond his sight, hungry enough for revenge that it was not likely to lose track of him. Not for the first time, Gero wondered what had possessed him to take sides in this mess and what side he was actually on. The dragon's author lived in North Berkeley, past the chic restaurants of the gourmet ghetto and on out into the classic older houses, full of character, as the real estate agents like to put it, if a little short and reliable plumbing. <laughs> Guerra found the house easily enough. It had two stories, a slightly threadbare lawn and a tentative garden, and pulled into the driveway, expecting the dragon, in its fury and fervency, to land beside him before he was out of the car. But he only glimpsed at once, far above him, circling with chilling patience between the clouds. A motion detector floodlight came on as Gera walked up the driveway and rang the bell. The author answered with surprising quickness. He was a middle-sized, undistinguished-looking man, bearded, wearing glasses, and clad in jeans, an old sweatshirt, and sneakers that had clearly been through two or three major civil conflicts. He blinked at Guerra and said, Hi, what can I do for you? Guerra showed his badge. Sir, I'm Officer Michael Guerra, Oakland Police, and I need to speak with you for a moment. He felt himself blushing absurdly and was glad the light was gone. The author was sensibly wary, checking Gera's badge carefully before answering, I've paid that Jack London Square parking ticket. Gera had just started to say, this isn't exactly a police matter, when, with a terrifyingly silent rush, the only sound was the soft whistle of wind through the folded wings, the dragon landed in the tentative garden and hissed, Remember me, storyteller? Scribe? Singer? Sorcerer? Remember me? The author froze where he stood in the doorway, neither able to come forward nor run back into his house. He whispered, No, you can't be here. You, you can't be. He did not seem able to close his mouth, and he was hugging himself as though as though for protection. The dragon sneered, foul-smelling flames. Come closer, you hairy hot pocket. I'd rather not singe your nice house when I incinerate you. <laughs> Gareth said, wait, wait a minute now, just a minute. We didn't talk about any incineration, no incineration here. The dragon looked at him for the first time since it had landed. It said, stop me. Gera's gun was in the car, but even if he could have reached it, it would have been no more practical use than a spitball. His mouth was dry and his throat hurt. Remarkably, the author stood his ground. He spoke directly to the dragon saying, I didn't write you out of the book. I dropped the damn book altogether. I didn't know how to write it and I was making an unholy mess out of it. So I dropped a lot of people, not just you. How come you're the only one hunting me down and threatening my life? Why is this all about you? The dragon's head swooped low enough to be almost on a level with the writers and so close that a bit of his beard did get singed. But its voice was colder than Gera had ever heard it when it said, because you wrote enough life into me that I deserved more. I deserved a resolution. Even if you killed me off in the end, that would have been something. And when I didn't get it, I still had this leftover life and no world to live it in. So of course, of course I've been trapped in your world ever since, miserable dung heap, that it is, there's no other place for me to exist and no other emotion out of all I might have had but revenge. Its head and neck cocked back then as Garrett had seen them do before and it turned and sprinted for his car and the useless gun. But he tripped over a loose brick from the garden from the garden border, fell full length and lay half stunned hearing to his dazed surprise the voice of the author saying commandingly Hold it! Just hold the phone here before you go sautéing people. You're angry because I didn't create a suitable world for you? Is that it? Garrett, the dragon did not answer immediately. Gera struggled wearily to <coughs> his feet, looking back and forth between the houses and his car. A family across the street, a man in a bathrobe, his small Indian wife in a sari, and a young boy wearing Spider-Man pajamas were standing barefoot in their own lawn, clearly staring at the dragon. <laughs> the man called out loudly but hesitantly, Hey, you okay over there? Gera was still trying to decide in his response when he heard the dragon say in a different tone, No, I'm angry because you did. You made up a fairy tale that I belonged in, and then you destroyed it and left me outside in this terrible, terrible place that I can't escape. And I never will escape, but I know now, by dying, except by dying, and we dragons live such a long time, but if I avenge myself now as you deserve, it swung its head briefly toward Gera, Then policemen like him will in turn kill me, sooner or later, and it will be over. SWAT teams, garrisoned trying to sound stern and ominous, whole patrols, divisions, bomb squad, FBI, the Air Force, hold it. The author was very nearly shouting, that's it? That's your problem with me? He held his hands up, palm out, looked at them and began rubbing them together. Give me five minutes. Three minutes, I'll be right back. I'll, I'll just get something, right back. He turned and started toward the house, but a fireball neatly seared a stripe of lawn at his feet. The dragon said, you stay, he goes. (laughs) The author looked down at the crumbling, crackling grass, then turned to Gera. Through the door, sharp left, turn right straight through the other door. My office, notebook, beside the laptop, Betty Grable on the cover, you can't miss it. Grab that, grab a couple of pens, get back out here before he trashes the landscaping. You know how much it costs to put this lawn in? but Guerra was already at the door. He hurried through to the office as directed, snatched up notebook and pens, paused for a moment to marvel at the books and electronics, the boxes of paper and printer cartridges, the alphabetized manuscripts in their separate folders. This is how they live, this is a real writer's workroom. And raced back out to the lawn where the author and his creation were eyeing each other in wary silence. Guerra was relieved to see that the dragon's head and neck were relaxed from the attack position and horrified to realize that the neighboring family with the addition of a smaller boy in Batman pajamas, were now standing at the edge of their lawn, while a girl coasting on inline skates was gliding up the driveway, and a large man with a pipe in his mouth who looked like a retired colonel in a movie was striding across the street as though to direct the catapults. The larger of the two boys was telling his brother learnedly, that's a dragon. I saw one on the Discovery Channel. (laughs) I could have switched shifts with Levinsky like we were talking about the other day. Thanks, the author said, taking the writing materials from Gera's hands, ignoring the growing assembly on his lawn and his driveway, and the cricket-like chirps of cell cell phone cameras. He sat down cross-legged in his own doorstep and propped the open notebook on his knee. I did this in Macy's window one time, he remarked conversationally, for the ERA or the EPA, one of those. He rubbed his chin, muttered something inaudible, and began to write, reading aloud as he went. Once upon a time, in a faraway place, There lived a king whose daughter fell in love with a common gardener. The king was so outraged at this that he imprisoned the princess in a high tower and set a ferocious dragon to guard her. The dragon slithered closer and craned its neck, reading over his shoulder. The author continued, But the dragon, fierce as it was, had a tender, sympathetic heart, greatly unlike the rest of its kind. I don't like that, the dragon interrupted. The rest of its kind. It sounds condescending, even a touch bigoted. Why not just say family or the rest of it's kinfolk? Much better tone, I think. Everybody's a critic, the author mumbled. All right, all right, kinfolk then. He made the correction. The man who looked like a colonel was standing beside another man who looked like a hungover Santa Claus, and the Indian mother was gripping her son's shoulders to hold both boys exactly where they were. The author continued, Now the dragon could not set the princess free against her father's orders, but it did what it could for her. It kept her company, engaging her in cheerful, intelligent conversation, comforting her when she was sad, and even singing to her in her most depressed moment, which would always make her laugh, since dragons are not very good singers. He hesitated, expecting some argument or annoyed comment from the dragon, but it only nodded in agreement. (laughs) True enough, we love music, but not one of us can sing a lick. Go on. Its voice was surprisingly slow and thoughtful, and so it seemed to Gera, almost dreamy. But what the princess valued most of all—most uh, of all the dragon's kindnesses—was that when her gardener lover had managed to smuggle a letter to her, the dragon would at once fly up to her barred window and hover there like any butterfly or hummingbird to pass the letter to her and ca- wait to carry her rapturous reply. He paused again and looked up at the dragon. You won't mind if I make you a little bit smaller, just for the sake of the hovering. With a graciousness that Gera would never have expected, the dragon replied, you're the artist, do as you think best. After a moment, it added, a bit shyly, if you wanted, you could do something with my crest. That would be all right. Easy, might touch up your scales some, too. Nobody's quite as young as they used to be. He worked on, still reading softly, as much to himself as to them. What struck Gera most forcefully was that his was very nearly the only voice in the crowded darkness, except for one of the small boys, "'Dragons eat people. He eat those men up!' And the roller-skating girl sighing to a boy who had joined her. "'This is so cool!' (laughs) Garrett gestured at them all to move back, but no one appeared to notice. If anything, they seemed to be leaning in, somehow yearning toward the magnificently menacing figure that loomed over the man who still sat tailor-fashion, telling it a story about itself. Now, when the king came to visit his imprisoned child, which, to be as fair to him as possible, he did quite often, The dragon would always put on his most terrifying appearance and strut around the foot of the tower to show the king how well he was fulfilling his charge. To Gera's astonishment, the dragon appeared not only somewhat smaller, but younger as well. Before his eyes, slowly but plainly, the faded greenish-black scales were regaining their original dark green glitter, and the tattered crest and drab, frayed wings were springing back to proud fullness. The dragon rumbled experimentally and the fire that lapped around its fangs, like the great claws no longer worn dull, was the deep red laced with rich yellow that such fire should be. Gera stared back and forth between this new glory and the ballpoint pen on the Betty Grable notebook, and no longer wished to have switched shifts with Officer Levinsky. But beyond such wonders, the most marvelous change of all was that the dragon was beginning to fade. To lose definition around the edges and grow steadily more transparent until Gareth thought he could see his car through it and the lights of houses across the street and the thi- and the rising moon. After a moment, though, he realized he was wrong. The lights were plainly coming from a number of low-roofed huts that clustered in the shadows at the base of a soap-bubble ca- castle, and what he had taken for his car was, in fact, nothing but a rickety hay wagon. The vision extended on all sides. Whichever way he turned, there was only the reality of the huts and the castle and the deep woods beyond. And one of the castle towers had a single barred window with a face glimmering behind it. Yes, said the dragon. For all its increasing dimness, the vo- its voice had grown as powerful and clear as a mountain waterfall. Yes, yes, that was just how it was. How it is. The sense of the common, one common breath being drawn and exhaled was abruptly broken by a soft wail, Dragon, gone! And the little boy in the Batman pajamas suddenly shrugged free of his mother's grip and came racing across the street to the lawn. Dragon, gone! Gera made a dive for him but missed and was almost trampled by the boy's father. The whiskey-faced Santa Claus came charging after. With the persistence and determination of a rabbit heading for his hole, the boy shot between several sets of legs straight for the splendid shadow that was fading so swiftly now. He tripped, skidded on his seat, and looked up at the mighty head and neck, wings and crest, fading so swiftly against a sky of castles and stars. Dragon gone? It was a forlorn question now. The head came slowly down, lowering over the boy, who sat unafraid as the dragon studied him lingeringly. Gera remembered, shadow or no shadow, the dragon's comments on the heart-melting tastiness of children. But then the boy's father had him in his arms and was sweeping him off, darkly threatening to sue somebody. There had to be someone. And the dragon was indeed gone. The castle was gone, too, and so in time went most of the author's neighbors, hushed and wondering. But some stayed a while for no reason that they could have explained, coming closer to the house merely to stand where the dragon had been. Several of those spoke differently to the author. Guerra saw others surreptitiously pluck up grass blades, both burned and untouched, plainly as souvenirs. When the last of that group had finally wandered off, the author closed the notebook, capped the pen, stood up, stretched elaborately, and said, Well, coffee? Gera <laughs> rubbed his aching forehead, feeling the way he sometimes did. When falling asleep, he suddenly lunged awake out of a half-dream of stumbling down a step that wasn't there. He said feebly, where did he go? Oh, into that story, the author answered lightly. The story I was making up for him. But you didn't finish it, Gareth said. He will. It's his fairy tale world, after all. He knows it better than I do, really. I just showed him the way back. The author smiled with a certain aggravating compassion. It's a bit hard to explain if you don't, you know, think much about magic. Hey, I think about a lot of things, Gara said harshly. And what I'm thinking about right now is that that wasn't a real story. It's not in any book. You were just spitballing, improvising, making it up as you went along. Hell, I'll bet you couldn't repeat it now if you tr- right now if you tried. Like a little kid telling a lie. The author laughed outright and then stopped quickly as he, when he saw Gara's expression. I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at you. You're quite right. We're all little kids telling lies. Writers are hoping we can keep the lies straight and get away with them. And nobody lasts very long in this game who isn't prepared to lie his way out of trouble. Absolutely right. He regarded the ruined strip of lawn and winced visibly. But you make the same mistake most people do, Officer Guerra. The magic's not in books, not in the publishing. It's in the telling, always. In the old, old telling. He looked at his watch and yawned. Actually, there might be a book in that one. I don't know. have to think about it. What about that Coffee. I'm off duty, Gera said, you got any beer? <laughs> I'm off duty too, the author said, come on in.